sacred writings of the Baha'i Faith teach that music is a ladder for the soul. My name is Jack Gordon, host of Interfaith-ish, and on this ongoing series of conversations I'm calling Soul Ladder Music, I invite you to climb with me as we hear songs and stories from a diverse array of musicians who connect sound and spirit. My guest this week is Umar Pitros Bokar, an exceptionally talented multi-instrumentalist who fuses punk rock with classical sitar and Sufi philosophy. I was fortunate to be Omar's neighbor for a while in DC, but I first knew him and his music years earlier when I learned about the Muslim punk scene, primarily through a series of books and films in the mid-2000s. During our discussion, Omar and I reflect on the love-hate relationship with being labeled as taqwa core, and we talk about where his explorations have led him today, as he continues to create music that blends his various influences and is ultimately its own sort of healing. about music in your household growing up what what was your relationship with music what was the type of music that your your family listened to if at all yeah for sure so my family you know i grew up in a muslim household and uh, i grew up uh being raised by two muslim women right my mom and my grandmother Mm. and uh so music is actually a uh they're south asian muslims by the way and so Music was definitely a part of our life in many different capacities. And uh, people have sort of varying relationships with music depending on, uh, you know, their interpretation of Islam. Um, but my my mom and my grandmother were always playing Bollywood stuff. So there was always like Bollywood. I mean, from when I was really little, I remember mm. Bollywood music being a thing. But my first real exposure... Uh, to music came from uh, ghazal poetry, like mushairas, which are like, um, like kind of like poetry concerts, uh, mm-hmm. which have a very musical quality to them, but they don't necessarily have instrumentation. Sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to Sufi music, like uh, which is basically like gospel music, uh, like Muslim gospel music would be a good way to kind of think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up around that kind of stuff. And... Um, and my family is very heavily into poetry, uh, even though they're not necessarily musicians. They're all writers and stuff, and uh, you know, journalists, and um, and so I was kind of introduced to music that way. And then the actual instrumental music was sort of in the background. It was never something that was like really focused on. Like we didn't have a piano in the house. You know, some people might have that kind of lived experience. But for me, it was like music was like kind of like this sparkling thing off in the distance that was cool but it wasn't really like part of our like 
uh, lexicon or whatever. It wasn't part of like the the family life. Mm. Um, but there was Quran recitation, right? So uh, when people recite the Quran, they recite it to like a melody, right? Um, and maybe people don't necessarily think of it as music, but technically it's it's a type of music, right? Right. Right. Um, so I would hear those sounds and those melodies, or the azan, which is the call to prayer. I would hear right. that growing up, especially when I was a kid in Pakistan. You know, you hear it all the time. So <laughs> you grew up, air. you were born and, and raised for at least part of your childhood in Pakistan? Yeah, yeah. I lived in Islamabad when I was a kid. Uh, I was born in America. Then we moved to Pakistan for a few years. Got and it. I spent a few years in Islamabad. And that's also where I, I picked up, uh, you know, that's how I picked up a lot of Urdu. Even yes. though my Urdu is terrible, but I mean, <laughs> compared to some other people who have no exposure, I, I can at least pronounce some sounds and stuff. <laughs> Better um, than mine, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask, so, so uh, favorite Bollywood soundtracks? Oh, man, there's so many. I think um, I really loved Rang Barse. Um, uh, Amitabh Bachchan was like my hero. He was like the, like the big film star of Bollywood back in the day. He was like a you know, 70s and 80s icon so a lot of the stuff that i was watching was probably you know it had been out for a while but yeah we we got it there on vhs or whatever we were watching it and i would he was this big tall guy lanky and he and and he always danced which i thought was so cool that like you know it was this kind of like uh it was very antithetical to the like western masculine kind of you Mm. know archetype or whatever because he was big and tall so he was masculine but then he also would dance and he would sing and stuff and i was like i love this guy he's great Rang barse, are rang barse, big chunar wali rang barse. Rang barse, big chunar wali rang barse. And what about for for Sufi gospel? Do you have groups or singers that you liked in particular? Yeah, well, my first exposure to music at all was when I was in Islamabad as a kid, um, of a famous Kowali singer came to our school. Uh, my mom had a school there where she was uh, teaching uh, disabled children. And okay. uh, he came there to try and get a job for somebody that like one of his like relatives needed a job. And so he was, you know, he was like, let me talk to the owner of the school, see what I can make happen. Mm-hmm. And everybody there was like, so like starstruck when they saw him. They were like, <laughs> yo, you got to play music. Can you please play music for us? And so he kind of, his like mission got derailed. And uh, his name was Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. He's very uh, well-renowned. Uh, Wait, he just singer. stopped by your mom's school? Yeah, he just stopped by. What? And this, this was... I was a little kid, so this is the first time i ever seen anybody play music. So they all bother him. They give him a harmonium, and he sits down, and he just starts, you know, jamming and singing. Wow. And every, it turns into, like, an impromptu concert. And I was like, who is this person, and what is this magical really? thing that he's doing right now? Yeah. So I could tell that the seed was planted probably back then, but I didn't really know until later that that was, like, what I wanted with my life. Like, I want to do that. But I remember Seriously. seeing him and being like, whoa, like, that's a thing, you know, you could that's like, like, that's like Stevie Wonder knocking at your door asking for yeah, directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Exactly. <laughs> just like, what? Wild, wild stuff. That's amazing. So, that's amazing. Yeah, I lucked, I lucked out to have that kind of exposure. Um, and, 
Yeah, it was it was definitely life altering. Probably, you know, <laughs> the the earliest life altering thing that changed the trajectory of, me, of, of my life. <laughs> feel when you listen to his music what what is the relationship that you have there listening to Nusrat's music is um I don't know it's for me it's like it's inspirational and and heartwarming and nostalgic and cathartic it's like everything you want from music right mm. and for me I I know a lot of people don't necessarily because he's very popular uh in the West, a lot of people don't necessarily understand the lyrics that he's saying all the time, right, and right. Um, they just vibe off the music because he's just an amazing musician. He does amazing yep. virtuosic <laughs> kind of stuff with his voice, and um, and he brings in what's called uh, sargam and khayal singing. Uh, these are different techniques, um, but for me, I love the the poetry and the repetition. Mm -hmm. um, they call it. Uh, like must, like you're trying to create like a state of ecstasy, and mm. they do that through like repetition of uh, of phrases, right? So musical repetition of the phrases, it goes over and over again, and it kind of gives you like you would say like uh, when you say it in the West, you'd call it the Holy Spirit, you know? Like you have that right. that feeling where you get hype and you feel like yo, this is amazing, right? Uh, and for me, I love that musically the musical part i got right away because i was like into rock music and rock music has that same kind of energy of catharsis right yeah uh, extended the, guard guitar solo yeah extended okay. guitar yeah. solo which is very similar like nusrit is doing a guitar solo with his voice basically you know yeah. so yeah. for me i saw parallels right away like i was like oh this is the same thing you know whereas maybe somebody who didn't have the experience of this being normal to them they might have been like this is like a an alien thing or something foreign or, or exotic or whatever. For me, it was just like, oh, these seem like things that are the same. And I could see how they were like a human thing, right? Like a human desire to want to like get the emotion out, right? To sweat it out, to have mm. that, cathar that cathartic experience, mm. right? Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, the spiritual nature of it. Right. You know, like uh, just because we live in a secular world doesn't mean that we're not still partaking in rituals that have their roots in some type of like whatever religious experience or spiritual experience. Right. Um, and we can still you can still do that and uh, not be religious. <laughs> you know, like, right. right. Uh, that's not necessarily the religion part of it. That That's just the cathartic part of it. Right. So yeah. if, if it's drumming and you're dancing, you're still doing it. You're sweating it out. You're getting the the stress. There's a whole chemical thing that happens with your body. Right. You know, there's endorphins. So for me, that was like, 
I don't know, that was like the best medicine, you know, to, to make me feel uh, better or whatever. When you were a kid, did you, yeah. you said, you know, particularly during that time as a teenager that you were having that nostalgic feeling, that longing um, for, for connecting uh, with your Desi heritage. Mm -hmm. The, did you also consider yourself religious? Were, were you were you devout as a as a muslim in in, wow, that's, in that's a, a conventional way yeah for sure so when i was a kid and i lived in pakistan i was like in islamic school like i went to an actual islamic school uh -huh. and i was like top of the class like, i was very mm. very deep into uh, religion and um when i came to america and i lived here for a while i was you know like i would say moderately religious i wasn't like extremely religious but we Religion was like a part of our life. So it wasn't yeah. something that I really thought about. Um, and later in my life, my um, I had like a traumatic event, right? So my my grandmother passed away really suddenly. And like I said before, my mom and my grandmother raised me. So it was like the equivalent of losing my father, basically. Like, yeah. you know, it, that was my parent. And, uh, and it happened in a way that wasn't, uh, that I wasn't prepared for. And so I became very disillusioned with religion and with God. And I had a whole existential problem, you know, and I was also a teenager as it was, it was like all of those things were happening at the same time. And it was, that was a tough thing to kind of deal with. Right. Um, so I kind of, I wouldn't say I turned away from religion, but I just kind of was like sick of it and I didn't really want to deal with it. Um, and I kind of like went on another path, you know, and that's when I got into like punk and I got into like hardcore and got into like anarchism and all of these things that are like very to some people would be considered very anti-religion um and uh you know so maybe it was reactionary i don't know why but the, why does a teenager get into punk rock they all have their reasons right? i mean they all have their reasons whatever it is uh, well the, well the first the first time i was aware of you it was mm -hmm. through this documentary takwakor the, yeah. the birth of punk islam yeah, uh, yeah. the the documentary not the narrative film uh yeah. of, of, a, of a similar name um can you explain a little bit for those who aren't familiar what what was or is takwakor what did it mean wow that's a, okay um what what happened was that basically i was living this quote-unquote takwakor thing that an author imagined so based off of a novel mike muhammad he's a convert to islam yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Michael Muhammad Knight is a convert to Islam who wrote this. I mean, he's written a bunch of amazing books, but this was his first uh, breakout book. Uh, and it was put out, I think, by Alternative Press. Maybe like it was somehow connected to Jello Biafra from okay. Dead Kennedys. And I, I remember thinking like, that was so cool. That, like, <laughs> Dead Kennedys are talking about Islam. Like, what is that about? Right. Um, because that's, you know, anyone who, who understands the whole no gods, no kings, like anarchist kind of yes. uh, mentality will be like, what's happening with that? And you have to remember this in context of like the Iraq war era and like, you know, post 9-11. So it wasn't necessarily about promoting any particular religion as much as it was about reacting against the state and like their war and all that stuff. Right. right. Okay. So Tukulkor is basically this idea of these like punk kids who are also Muslim and them trying to like figure out this dichotomy uh, of like being Western and uh, and then also like maintaining their heritage and then also questioning their heritage but then also questioning the West and uh, you know it was like all of that kind of wrapped into one and um, 
so for me, I was like, yo, I totally get what this author is trying to do because this is my life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I already lived this. So like, it's cool to see it in a book. Like, whoa, somebody's like writing about my life basically. Um, and I met, I, I had been touring with my band at the time, Diacritical, and we were in New York and we played a show with this band called the Caminas from Boston. Um, and a band, I know a couple other really good bands, but the, um, we started talking and they, they kind of put me onto this book and they're like, yeah, this guy we know, Mike, is he wrote this really cool book about this thing, uh, this idea that he had. And like, we're reaching out to people who are kind of like, you know, who have a similar lived experience and we're all talking about it. And so we all started to kind of like create a community around like being Muslim and in America and being into counterculture in this time period of American mm. history. Like, what does that mean? Are we allowed to do this? Like, can we make art right now? Or like, are we supposed to like be quiet? You know, it's the, because people see us as a threat, you know? So like, mm. how do we, how do we learn to live in America if we're not allowed to like take advantage of being American? And that's the thing is that like, Takokor was never really about Islam. Like it wasn't really about like, religion as much as it was more about like identity politics you know mm. and, and cult cultural nuance or whatever um but for people who you know maybe live in an american um society or they live in a bubble where they never like had any relationship with islam for them they would think oh this is like religious music and it was quite the opposite of that. It was all about challenging authority. <laughs> it was, all, you know what I mean? Just the fact that we were Muslims playing music at all was, was like, uh, you know, heretical to some people. Woke up and it started. He's Mubarak, he's Mubarak. Took a bath and then I farted. He's Mubarak, he's Mubarak. I hope I'm not a target. He's Mubarak, he's Mubarak. No shoes on the carpet. As a young person getting into this scene, finding out about yeah. punk, like you said, you were you were in a place where you were turning away from, it sounded like more organized religion, conventional religious yeah. experience. I mean, you're in you're in the DC area, right? You're in Northern Virginia yeah. at that point? Yeah, you know, yeah this I was is, in Alexandria. This is a legendary spot for punk rock music. You know, yeah. t tell me about who are some of the bands that you connected with uh, during during that era? Who were some of your favorites? Obviously, I was, you know, I got put on to Fugazi because they were they were doing their thing at that time. And then, but, you know, learning about Fugazi kind of sent me back to Minor Threat. And I, w I was also like really huge into Nirvana. That's kind of what inspired me to play mm -hmm. the guitar. Um, and, you know, Nirvana talked a lot about their influences in DC Hardcore and they played shows with Fugazi and stuff. So yeah. I wanted to know like what that was about. And I learned about like their whole like way of doing stuff, like independently creating their own label, you know, making their own thing. And it was extremely appealing to me because I was so much of railing against the idea of like, um, you know, this kind of corporate monster that was controlling art, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I really looked up to those guys. I was like, man, I want to be like these guys. Um, there was bands from DC also like, uh, like Gist, um, uh, from Red Stapler Records. Amazing. Uh, they, they were, their front man was a Desi guy too. So that was also super inspirational to me. Like see a Desi okay. guy up there rocking out, uh, Nyan, shout out Nyan. And, um, and then also, uh, Q and Not You. Q and Not You I loved because their music was, it was like frantic and like danceable, but mm. 
Like it had the, it was. Um, I I didn't know about the band Gang of Four at the time. I, I that's was, what I was gonna say. It's, yeah, it's clearly an inheritor. It's of Gang very of much, Four. very much a Gang yeah. of Four. Yeah, but I didn't know what baseline. Gang of Four was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, because I um, I didn't grow up in that era. Uh, so Q and I U was kind of my introduction uh, into that kind of dance punk thing. And I loved it because I loved dancing to the you know to ska music and to like uh, Caribbean music, and then I loved the like punk energy and then the punk uh, philosophy behind it. Mm. So for me, I, I was I was not always super into like the aggro like fist fighting. I mean, I I did my fair share of going in the pit and all that stuff, but for me, I loved the music. I fell in love with that part of it. That was the part that excited me was the uh, the body moving and the dancing, you know, which brings me back to that like whole Sufi thing, right? That like. Uh, whatever holy spirit that's what i call it you know if that's corny people people forgive me but you that's what i mean it's like it made made me feel the ecstatic state and i wanted i wanted that to yeah. be part of my experience So then as you're creating your own music, as you're starting to, to be in these bands, the name of the band that you were talking about earlier that you were touring with was Diacritical. Was this a, a part of the discussions that you would have with your band members about, about what it is that you were trying to do with the music? Or was it all just sort of buried in your psyche while you were yeah. just going? I would say it was, it was mostly buried in my psyche. The thing is, is that like... Uh, in my peer group, like I was a songwriter for a long time. Mm. So, um, and some of those songs that appear on the 2007 Diacritical record, I wrote in like 1997. Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> uh, so it, it, because we were broke kids, we didn't have any money. There right. was no label paying for it. We paid for everything out of our own pockets. So yeah. it wasn't easy for me to like write a song and put it out. It was sometimes I would write a song and it would take 10 years before we got you know our stuff together so we could make it actually happen. Yeah. Um, and so. For me, my I as a songwriter, I just drew on my lived experience, whatever I was going through. So that's what I, I kept trying to tell people about Tucklecore too. Was like it's not about like religion; it's about people from a specific religious background reacting to reality from their lens. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. So if Black Sabbath can have a band called Black Sabbath, uh -huh. and they can have a song called War Pigs, where they talk about you know God's judgment coming on you mm. for being a warmonger, then why can't I like? do something similar from my perspective, right? Draw on the iconography and... Yeah, and the iconography, the Islam. imagery, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that there was a time period where that was totally acceptable. The Orientalists did it all the time, you mm. know? Thousand and One Nights, you know, if you watch the movie Thief of Baghdad, they say the word Allah like 90 times in that movie. <laughs> I mean, praise be to Allah, praise be to Allah, praise be to Allah, praise be to you know? And it's weird to see like white actors saying Allah over and over again, but I was like, okay, that was, it was cool. It was okay to do that in that era <laughs> because that was like part of the motif or whatever, right? The crescent moons of her, what's the line is so funny. Uh, her eyebrows were like the crescent moons of Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should like watch a, the movie. That sounds like just like a word salad of, of uh, uh, Muslim stuff. Just throw it yeah, in just there. Yeah, just cram it as, much, as, as weird Muslim buzzwords as we can get into one sentence. 
So do you do you think that uh, you've to this day ha, have you remained Takwakor? Like, is that is that how you? I mean, okay, listen. If I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> if I'm gonna be honest, I was never actually Takwakor. It was never like it wasn't something that I was like I'm gonna start a Takwakor band. Like, uh-huh. you know, that's not. I didn't set out to do that. What I set out to do was write songs about my lived experience. Yeah. Sometimes my lived experience was about being you know south asian sometimes it was about my experience as being a mixed race person sometimes it was about uh religious uh, philosophical ideas sometimes it was about racism you know and uh, I, that was the lens that i was approaching it through i never thought like oh i'm gonna make muslim music for muslim people or something like that's just that idea is dumb to me i would never do that um i thought okay i'm gonna write from my experience and then just like people who are not necessarily Muslim inspired me, right? Like I, I was inspired by Black Sabbath and Q&IU and Fugazi and, and, uh, and Nirvana. Uh, you know, then maybe I, I can talk about stuff and then other people who have like maybe an immigrant experience or have a, a, a third culture experience, then they'll get what I'm talking about, you know? So what's different for you than now, 10, 15 years later, you know, since that moment had its time in the sun and, you know, got a lot yeah. of attention in the early 2000s? Yeah. How have you feel like you've evolved in your your music or, or even in your own sense of self or spirituality? I think for me, what happened is that I I, I leaned into Sufism a lot. Because I felt like that's my connection to Islam. Like, that's where I feel comfortable relating to Islam, right? Mm. Like, I don't necessarily want to go to the masjid. I don't necessarily want to, like, do uh, Sunni Orthodox kind of stuff. That's just not my thing. Mm. Um, I prefer, you know, metaphysical stuff, uh, ideas, and philosophy, uh, uh, what they call tawil, which is, like... uh, uh, esoteric interpretation. Uh, I like exploring occult stuff, you know, like uh, s- stuff about um, magic and mythology mm. and uh, mysticism and astrology. And and uh, there's all this amazing body of work that just nobody knows about. Like uh, the mainstream audiences are just not exposed to it. And they think that Islam is this one little thing when in actuality, it's this gigantic thing that spans all kinds of different stuff. Um, and I'm allowed to be inspired by whatever I want to be inspired by, you know? Mm. I don't think it's fair that that people have this expectation of me that, like, I have to, like, denounce every single aspect because they're, like, they have fears about something. Like, I can be inspired by, like, flying carpets if I want. 
You know, like <laughs> I can I can be I can be as magical I yeah. can be as magical as I want to be, right? And no one's gonna tell me how magical I can or can't be. <laughs> That's such, a, that's such a cool way to to move through the world. <laughs> Be as magical as I want. Translating that to to music, how do you yeah. feel like your your music has has similarly involved uh, evolved with that worldview? So I think what happened is that the the the, the whole Thakukor thing that I experienced. I was re- I was pretty young. I didn't really you know have any experience having that kind of media attention and the, that kind of scrutiny on me Mm. um and what it taught me was that i just need to just do what i want artistically that there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like it everyone's going to have their weird opinions and that's kind of what makes art amazing it's like if you're going to have commentary Mm. about something and you're doing something that compels enough people to like comment back then that means that you're doing something important like you know, if it's something you just throw it out in the wind and nobody says anything, it's like, okay, it probably wasn't that important. You didn't really need to talk about it. It wasn't relevant or it wasn't interesting. Yeah. But um, I didn't understand that scrutiny was what I was kind of what I was asking for. I was like, I want to be an artist. I want to be um, a person that has the opportunity to comment on on society. Um, and then when I did it and I got negative feedback, I took it really personally and it kind of scared me. And I didn't make art for a while. And I was kind of afraid, like, maybe this is not, like, what I'm supposed to be doing. Hmm. Um, and I, I was questioning of it, yeah? Um, and the thing is that I realized later was, like, so the diacritical record, we recorded at uh, Don Zentera uh, Studio, uh, Inner Ear Studios, which is, like, a legendary studio in uh, in the Washington, D.C. areas, and it was in Arlington. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, Bad Brains recorded there, Scream recorded there, like, everybody recorded there, Jimmy E. World, all kinds of people. And... Um, and I remember being there and uh, they had like uh, like a rug where they would like wipe their feet like when they came in, you know, like people do when they walk uh-huh. in. And I remember looking at the rug and being like, is that a, is that like a rug rug? Like a prayer rug? I mean, it didn't like have any iconography on <laughs> yeah, it or yeah, anything yeah. because because I've, obviously they wouldn't do that, something that disrespectful. It just had that shape. So, of course, yeah. in my mind, I saw a prayer rug because that's my yeah. conditioning, my lived experience. And I thought to myself, wow... Maybe that's like what reality is. It's just like we see things through whatever filter that we see, right? So mm. because I came from a Muslim background, when I saw that rug, I thought of prayer rug. And well, when they came from their background, they saw a rug that was like, oh, that's where we wipe our feet when we go in so uh-huh. we don't mess up our studio or whatever. <laughs> and so that, that made me realize that like, okay, so it's all right if I make art and I upset people. Even if I upset like my punk rock heroes and they say like, oh, you know, why are you talking about religion at all? Like... You know, no gods, no kings. Like, we shouldn't be talking about this. Mm. Like, you know, you should be more secular or whatever. Or, like, the religious people are like, why are you talking about our religion? Like, you should be more secular or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Leave like, it alone. Why we are don't you want co- you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone no, is thanks. just kind of like, we don't want this. We don't want this. And uh, at the time, I felt like, oh, man, like, I feel even more alienated. Um, but then I realized, like, no, actually, I think I'm doing the right thing. Because if I'm upsetting, if I'm not upsetting, but if I'm challenging everybody... That means that I'm doing art, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. what I was trying to do, was make a statement that was, like, forced everybody to kind of think. And it was cool. I mean, there was a bunch of guys that were all doing similar things, trying to do the same thing. And they all got to uh, do that together, you know, because strength in numbers. We would not have been able to do it on our own because mm. there was so much discrimination in that in that time period. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, so no one would have given you know a bunch of Muslim guys the opportunity to like make commentary about society. Like, nobody cares what we thought. You know, we were like the enemy at that point. So um, we kind of forced our way in, and we're like, no, we're gonna carve our our, <laughs> our names in the in the stone here, so people don't forget that we existed. You know, amazing. done recently actually hasn't been recorded in a in a um professional studio yeah yeah we didn't put out any records it's a live experience and when i hear you talking about your background navigating the punk community um but then also even going further back in that experience with nusrat fatila khan that that it's it's an interesting blending of those things, you know, that that live in the moment is really a key piece of it. So yeah. talk a little bit about about what you're doing now and and where your your head and your spirits are with it. Yeah, so I um I have this uh, project. Well, I did this project called Evil Art Form, which was basically like me just experimenting with electronic music, and I started to draw on improvisation there first, and that came from studying. Hindustani classical music. So after doing diacritical, there was sitar and stuff on and tabla on the diacritical record, but it was very mm. kind of like um, kind of like sprinkles on a cupcake. Like I didn't really know what I was doing with that tradition because I hadn't studied it at that point. But I loved yeah. it. I loved the sounds. I wanted to use it. So I took like ten years to study classical music, and in that time period, I learned a lot about improvisational technique. Uh, which is the core foundation of Hindustani classical music. And then I brought that into electronic music with the project Evil Art Form. And I basically went on tour with a bunch of drum machines and synthesizers, and I just made up songs on stage. I just mm. tricked people into giving me shows with <laughs> literally no <laughs> like no material out. And, uh, and, and then I would just perform and I would just make up songs. And I would try to do that like must that ecstasy thing on stage and sometimes it would destroy it would kill people would be dancing and and that like uh electro sufi like sufi electronica thing was going down you know what i mean and people were getting it on a cathartic level so i was like this is amazing um but at the same time i was also exploring writing ghazal in english and i had started doing some like Poetry events, like uh, like at Busboys and Poets, stuff that people from D.C. might know about. Slam poetry was a really huge thing in, in D.C. Um, and so I would go to these slam events, and I would watch people slam, and I'd be like, this is awesome. Um, and because I grew up with poetry, I wanted to, like, do poetry. Uh, I always put poetry in my lyrics. And I would go there, and I would do ghazal in English at the slam events, and the audience would just not get it. <laughs> it was just it was just because it was not what they were doing you know uh-huh. slam is like is like narrative it's like uh 
soliloquy, like monologuing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. these long, kind of long sentences and they have a story and there's an arc and all this. And I'm going to go up there and I'm this, you know, here's this weird sing-songy ancient tradition with like little rhymes and stuff. And so people just had no frame of reference for it. And it just, it wasn't getting the reaction that I wanted. And uh, I felt really frustrated by it. And my my partner, she told me, why don't you try playing sitar when you do your ghazal recitation and see what happens because the energy of the sitar will bring people down. Wow. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a terrible idea. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and uh, because even for me, it was it's not something that people do. Mushaidas don't have, like, usually. I mean, it's a rare occasion when someone is doing instrumentation and then also re- reciting po- spoken word poetry in that fashion what i'm doing with my project gardens for the lush which hopefully i'll play a little for you today yeah um that is something that is just not a thing like we basically mm-hmm. my my wife invented it i i it was an <laughs> idea that she had and i was confused about it at first and then we tried it and it was like a like a hit like i was so surprised i was like wow people love this and we started getting shows all the time we toured all over the country we played the kennedy center and it it just like it was this like volcano that just like erupted um but i think she got the idea that because mushaira when they do ghazal as a spoken poetic form it's done uh, at least in south asia it's done in a sort of call and response repetitious kind of like slam poetry like Mm. it's that equivalent so that's why i went there first like i thought that was the move um but the aesthetic of ghazal poetry is very sufi and is very much about contemplation and it's very much about reflection on the words so it doesn't you don't have the uh opportunity if you just slam the you know you just go 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 you just say the poem really fast then people can't reflect and pause. Mm. So the the breaks of the music give you a chance to kind of like listen to it and go, what is what is he actually talking about? Oh, let me unravel the little metaphor, or let me look at the interesting wordplay, or let me enjoy the little rhyme scheme, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and like if you if you read like Rumi, like Rumi's poetry is written in ghazal format, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the West they read like Coleman Barks or somebody right. who has translated his works. Right. And he, by him, you know, no disrespect to Coleman Barks, he's uh, exposed lots of people to Rumi. But one thing that his uh, translations miss out is the little music of the way that Rumi wrote it, right? Because he mm. wrote it with a little rhyme scheme and a refrain. And uh, and there's some, there's a, there's a music that's lost there. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of like re-access that. And so I was like, what if I just do it in English and see if people get it? And they got it. So I was like, okay, all right, it works. You know? Yeah. You can write it ghazal in any language, apparently, and it's fine, you know? Yeah. Well, I think people that, have done it in... That tees it up beautifully. Do you want to uh, uh, let her rip a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll do something for you guys.
When I'm conscious of my heart, when I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. The terrified conspirers are exposing schemes. The terrified conspirers are exposing schemes while we struggle with ourselves in this war in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. alchemist love's alchemist concocts the brew love's alchemist concocts the brew for this weak Hakeem love's alchemist concocts the brew for this weak Hakeem winning sorrows drinking contest as you pour and drink when I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. Her eyes are my religion. are my religion, blues shaping such extremes. Her eyes are my religion, blues shaping such extremes. Whether new love is true or not, I adore in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams, and I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. Then I can soar in dreams and I'm waking suddenly to find 
more in dreams. of my heart than I can soar in dreams and I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams boldly I jump swings above a moving stream. Boldly I jump from rope swings above a moving stream, like all the shattered confidence I restore. In dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams, and I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. of our broken hearts in hope supreme. We put the future of our broken hearts in hope supreme, recalling all the premonitions we ignore in dreams. We put the future of our broken hearts in hope supreme, recalling all the premonitions we ignore in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. And I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. Me. Me, the mangled roadkill. Me, the mangled roadkill of love's hit and run regime. Me, the mangled roadkill of love's hit and run regime. Slashing through our hearts, there's so much blood and gore and dreams. conscious of my heart that I can soar in dreams and I'm waking suddenly to find there's more in dreams. Mm -hmm. 
life is a series, if life is, if life is a series of mistakes, if life is a series of mistakes we can't redeem, Life is a series of mistakes we can't redeem, then I'll find a new horizon to explore in dreams. If life is a series of mistakes we can't redeem, then I'll find a new horizon to explore in dreams. When I'm conscious of my heart, then I can soar in dreams. Conscious of my heart that I can soar in dreams and I'm waking suddenly to find there's that that resonance to the very 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 last end of the note i love it i love <laughs> awesome. that sure. that's so good this is a, a section of the beginning of an indian classical concert is called an alap and it's uh, a rhythmic uh, melodic section that is you know meditative that's its quality and uh, it's in stark contrast, you know, to a guy who grew up playing, you know, punk music and and <laughs> going to, going to punk shows or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I feel like there's a similar type of healing nature to it. You know, yeah. uh, you're you're experiencing vibrations. It's just doing something different to your body. Whereas yeah. that, when you're young and you're you've got pent up aggression and you're you know you're like trying to get hype you know kids who go to shows now they understand yeah. what i'm talking about um but sometimes you just need a chill out vibe too right that's a thing too right you want to just relax um and i've been so fortunate that music has kind of been there for me in every capacity mm. you know like when i was sad music was there for me when right. i was happy when i was rambunctious and rebellious <laughs> when i was like uh, older and contemplative you know uh, it's just been kind of following me and I've been following it and I'm super grateful for that, you know? <laughs> well, the name the name of this series that I'm doing is called Soul Ladder Music and it takes it from mm -hmm. this line in uh, the Baha'i writings, which I think very similar to what you've talked about with with um, Sufi is, is it, it pulls from that poetic style in a lot of the writings. Mm -hmm. um, and... And there's this one passage where Baha'u'llah talks about music being like a ladder for our souls. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to 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 hear how that hits you and, and, and how you how you see that that image in the context of the work that you're doing. I mean, I think I mean, I 100 percent agree. And the way I look at it is like punk rock saved my life. And like this Sufi stuff, like save my soul, you know, like it, mm. it's like gave me purpose. It was like one thing to like pull me out of the gutter and, and, and teach me the correct way to live life and how to be free and, and how to aspire to be free. But there was another to like give me purpose, you know what I mean? To like make me wow. feel like, 
like there's a reason for my existence because the nihilism was not where I, well that wasn't what I needed you know for me it was I'm not saying it's it could be great for somebody else but for me in my particular lived experience I needed something to make me feel like my existence was more than just this you know random thing um if that makes me religious I guess I don't know I'm not sure I would still call myself a skeptic but um <laughs> I think that the, I can connect to that, whatever that is, that desire, human desire for that feeling connection through music. Yeah. And so in that way, yeah, whatever you want to call it, the soul or consciousness, uh, I agree that these, um, these, uh, these prayers that we do with vibrations, right? These little offerings that we're, we're doing with these vibrations is literally like the stuff that people are made of, right? Like, isn't mm. that what physics says, that we're all, like, these oscillating, moving things? Uh, and so, for me, music seems like we're tuning ourselves, you know? Like, mm. like maybe I'm a little out of tune, and so then I, I start to listen to the music, and I kind of tune myself to the music, and now I feel all right again. I'm like, okay, now I'm back on track. Like, you know, I feel good. I feel centered. Um, yeah. And I can reapproach reality again, as opposed to when we are... Um, when we are being pushed and pulled, you know, like mass media and all of this stuff is like trying to scare us every day. And there's all this people trying to like, uh, my wife, she said this brilliant thing about said, what is it? Hold on. Let me get her quote. Right. I want this. Okay. This is an Ilana quote. It, Capitalism steals your self-esteem and then tries to sell it back to you. Mm. And right. Yeah. And so I was like, yo, that's so, so deep and profound because we are constantly in this battle to like make our lives meaningful and to feel good. Yeah. But then we're also fighting forces that are trying to take that away from us. Right. It's not a nurturing living is not like a nurturing experience. Like I feel like it should be that, but it's not always that. Yeah. Um, and so spending a little time, self care is a big thing, right? People talk about this all the time. Now spending a little time to like jam to some music or make some music or think about music or think about art or drawing or fashion or whatever to get yourself centered, I think is like, that's what to me, what prayer is like, that's what it is supposed to be. It's supposed to be, um, you know, like, uh, in the Psalms, they, they say Selah, right? Mm-hmm. Like when the Psalms break, there's right. Salah, right? right? So I think about the Salah, uh, like in Islam, the same way that like life is like music and then Salah is a break, a, a little pause for contemplation. Wow. So you spend some time, you think about it and it kind of recenters you and then you go back to that, that jam session of life. Whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's important. And so yeah. if you involve yourself in these practices uh, in whatever capacity... It doesn't even have to be a spiritualist capacity. You could literally just be put on some trap music and just jam out and feel good about, you know, you had a terrible day and now you need to just vibe to feel better. Like, I get that. To me, I'm like, yo, that's that's where it's at. That's what we need to be doing, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I feel, Omar, that, that your your music is really a holy experience. I felt like that you, in, in so many that. of your iterations, you know, from, from the punk records to just hearing you, you know, go on the on classical, uh, the sitar and, and all the electronic music. I mean, it's it it does. It brings healing and it makes me feel more whole when I listen to your music. So thank, thank you for you. that. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you for saying that, man. Yeah.
No, it's true. It's my goal true. was to was to heal myself. Honestly, that was my goal. Yeah. I would do it yeah. for myself, and then if other people dig it, heck yeah, you know. Thanks for making the climb with me this week on Soul Ladder Music. You can find Omar's various music projects at, conveniently enough, omarsmusic.com. That's O-M-A-R-S-M-U-S-I-C.com. And if you want to hear past episodes from the Soul Ladder Music series, the show is available on your podcast player of choice. I'll also have links to all the songs in the episode show notes. Be sure to check out the Soul Ladder Music playlist on Spotify for a running list of all the music played during this series. And I want to give thanks, as always, to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music. Keep tuning in to WOWD 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio, for great music and programs, seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org. <laughs>